Good morning, everybody. My name is Keith Gove, and I am one of the pastors here at Richfield Community Church. And I get uh, the pleasure, the honor of speaking this morning. Um, if you are new around RCC, we're working through the book of John. So we're starting chapter 13 uh, today. Before I begin, I just want to remind you, uh, there's a little thing happening. Oops, went one too far. A little happen thing happening Tuesday where we get to vote. Um, so... I have a uh, list of things that I want you to vote for in, uh, no, just kidding. Um, however you vote. We get a, an opportunity to uh, shape the direction God works in lots of ways. And one of them, I think, is through us uh, making decisions. So go out and vote this week. Uh, we have, oh, I went again, didn't I? Uh, there we go. Hey, we have a Christmas series in December, so we're going to take a little break from John. We'll be going through the mystery of Christmas. We'll be talking about Jesus in specifically that Christmas story in the month of December. We have a Christmas concert on the 11th. If that is uh, music is fun for you, this will be a great night uh, to invite a friend, invite a neighbor uh, to just have a great time with us on the 11th at 6.30. And then uh, Christmas Eve service, um, 5.30 on the 24th. Um, we'd love to have you join us. Um, it's going uh, to be a great time together as a, as a church family. So as we begin today, we're in chapter 13, as I said, and we're, we're talking about uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The goodness of God that we just sang about is getting exemplified and, and personified in this story. But before we begin, I, I want to just talk about what we, what we recognize about learning from a master. This is from uh, Monet. This is a painting, uh, Bridge Over water lilies or, you know, something like that. Um, who says I don't appreciate art, right? <laughs> like Simon and Garfunkel, bridge over troubled waters. This is bridge over squiggly water, you know. <laughs> I know art. Um, but if you want to learn to paint like Monet, you got to hang. I mean, not you don't have to, but ideally, you hang with Monet. You sit in his front yard, and he's got this, like, pond right out in his front yard, and you sit and you watch you know, how he does what he does, and you learn how to do it. Uh, you want to learn how to play like Tiger Woods. You know, it helps if you're his son and you get to hang out and play with him all the time. But you watch everything he does, right? You watch his swing. You watch his preparation. You watch his short game. You watch his drives. You watch everything. You want to play like Tiger Woods. You watch Tiger Woods. Uh, you want to be the Jesus baseball action hero. <laughs> you hang out with Brandon Marsh on the Phillies. Now, I put this in earlier in the week, and then, I don't want to spoil anything, but they were less than victorious last night, uh, so I was going to take it out, and then I thought, no, Brandon is just teaching the team humility, you know, he's just, he wants them to learn, he, no, and not true, so I feel like having said that, I need to tell you, Brandon Marsh, oh, wait, I forgot the, I forgot the best part, see, there he is, the Jesus <laughs> baseball action hero. I feel like I need to tell you, though, he, he has no special spiritual abilities. He didn't throw the game so that he could teach the team humility. Uh, I feel like I need to put in some caveats just so you know. It, the depth of my humor is, hey, that guy looks like Jesus. That's all. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> There's nothing deeper than that, nothing spiritual whatsoever. Jesus is doing the same thing with his disciples. You want to learn from Jesus, you hang with Jesus. Jesus is giving them a very concrete, very uh, 
personal story of what it looks like to follow his interpretation of the law, to live like him, to serve like him. If you're going to be my students, here's what it looks like. So let's read the story. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking the towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not now understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. God, would you speak to us through your word, by your spirit this morning, Lord, would you teach us? Would you help us to see what Jesus hoped that these disciples would see in his example? For your glory, Lord, and for our joy. Amen. So we have this prologue at the beginning that I stumbled through, I apologize, uh, of the be- at the beginning of this story that I want to, to just quickly unpack for us. So before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Here's the like first action of, of the sentence. Jesus rose from supper, knowing that he was from the Father and going back to the Father, he rose from the supper. You could have easily begun this story with, hey, they were celebrating the feast of Passover and Jesus got up. That would be plenty. But John gives us all this backstory. Um, First, we know we're at the feast of Passover. 
You remember when uh, John the Baptist first introduces Jesus, first sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John has set this up to this culmination uh, at Passover that the disciples don't know is coming, but this night is their last night together. This is their last meal together. There's going to be an arrest. There's going to be a trial. He's going to be on that cross the next day. Passover is that next day. Um, all the way back, you know, helping them see the continuity of this story and what Passover means in, in uh, terms of what Jesus did, knowing that his hour had come to depart out of this world. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly where they are in history. He knows exactly what is to come. John is telling us, giving us a hint, Jesus knows and is walking willingly, purposefully into what's about to happen. Loving his own who were in the world to the end, not only to the end of his life, but to the uttermost, knowing Jesus, knowing that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. John's giving us all of these details so that we understand Jesus knows all that's going on. He is not unaware of any of the complexities or any of the weight at this dinner, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus gets up from the supper. This whole first three verses of the story is to tell us Jesus is God. He knows what is going to happen to him. He knows what's happening with the disciples in their heads, in their hearts. He knows what the devil has done in the heart of Judas Iscariot. He knows it all. Jesus is God. And what does God do? He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel. He tied it around his waist. He pours water into a bowl and he washes the disciples' feet. The God of the universe without whom nothing exists who created everything out of nothing, wraps a towel around his waist and washes his disciples' dirty feet. I just want that to sink in. Because Jesus is telling us, he's not just washing feet, he's telling us and he's showing us the depth of God's love. Jesus, who was with God, and who was God from the beginning, from the height of heaven comes down to wash these dirty feet to teach his disciples what his love is like. 
Jesus' humble service. Even to dirty feet. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel. He tied it around his waist. Poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. But Peter, we love Peter, right? Peter says, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? Peter knows this is not the way the world works. Students wash the teacher's feet. And even then they wouldn't wash the teacher's feet. This was considered the most menial of services. Not even Jewish slaves would wash their master's feet. They would ask a Gentile, they'd get a Gentile or they'd get somebody else. This was below even them. Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus says, I get that you don't understand. I get you don't understand this yet, but you will. What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter says, no, no, no. I understand enough. You're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. We're not on the same team. We're not working together. So Peter says, all right then. Wash me all. Wash everything. Wash my hands. Wash my feet. So Jesus begins washing the disciples' feet. Peter objects, says, no way. Jesus says, I know you don't get it yet, but you will. And Jesus points beyond just the feet, just the washing, to something bigger. He says, Jesus, he says Peter, if you're not going to trust me to serve you in this way and to serve you in the way, way bigger ways that are coming tomorrow, you have no part with me. You need to trust me and let me do this to you. So Simon Peter says, all right, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew, one was about to be, he knew who was about to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. So Peter says, not just my, not just my feet, my hands, my head, everything. Peter, uh, Jesus gives this kind of, everyday kind of answer. You know, hey, Peter, we know how it works. You take a bath in the morning. You go to a friend's house. You don't need to bathe again. You don't need another bath when you get to your friend's house. You just wash the junk off of your feet. You just, you know, get the gook off. That's all. That's all you need to do. You don't have to take another bath. Peter, you're crazy. But he, he points again beyond just the, the immediate physical and he says, again, this is just my, my kind of summary. If you'll trust me, Peter, I will make you completely clean. You don't understand this now, Peter. I know you don't understand this now. But if you will trust me, I will make you completely clean. And as you follow me, I will continue to serve you, washing away your unrighteousness. You know, as John, who wrote this gospel, wrote his first letter, 1 John, he says, if we will confess our sins. First, if we say we have no sin after we've come to Christ, we're lying. And then he says, if we will confess to Jesus, Jesus is faithful to cleanse us, to wash us of all unrighteousness. And I think it's the same idea here. Jesus is pointing ahead to that day when he will continue washing their feet as they serve him, as they follow him. 
He says, you guys are clean. Your connection to me, your partnership with me, your trust in me, you are clean, but not all of you. Not all of you trust me. Not all of you are partnered with me because he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. So we got the prologue. Jesus is God. He was with God from the beginning, the way John started his gospel, and he's heading back to the glory of heaven. Then we have this action where he washes the disciples' feet, including Judas's feet. Including Judas's feet. Giving us a picture, putting on display the love of God. And then the second half of our passage, he gives this commission, go and do likewise. And before I, I get there, I want to tell you how this hit home for me. Um, all my life, I wanted to do music. That's what, that's what I wanted to do from, from the time I can remember, fourth grade uh, up through high school. And it's a long story, but God did things in my life that about my senior year of high school, I said, well, God, apparently you don't want me to do music this has all been a cruel joke for the last 10 years. You know, you don't actually want me to do this. There's no joy in it. There's no fun in it. So I'm going to go to a Christian college and be a missionary somewhere so that you'll be happy with me and let me come back and do what I want to do. That was my thinking as a senior in high school. God to me was the, the entity, the, the person out there with all the power and all the connections who could get me what I want. And so insofar as he could get me what I want, he was good. I'm on board with God, get me what I want, and, uh, and I'm good. About my freshman year of college, God starts to unravel. Well, he started my senior year, but then my, uh, my freshman year of college, I start to see what God has been doing. I start to understand a little bit more of what God has been doing, and that God even in keeping from me the things that I loved, was loving me, was serving me, serving my best interest by keeping from me the things that I wanted from him desperately, that I was praying for, that I desired with all my heart. God was serving me. And I'm, I'm, starting, I'm starting to see this. I'm starting to see God's love, and I'm looking at you know, some of the faculty, some of the guys that I was taking classes from, one of them, so this is the early 90s, right? The communism has just kind of fallen apart. One of my professors had memorized, memorized the New Testament so that he could go into these Soviet and Eastern Bloc countries as like a businessman and then meet with a pastor and recite the entire New Testament so that they would have a Bible. And I'm thinking, I just want God to do what I want. I want God to make me famous. And here's a guy who, with an amazing brain, chooses to take the Bible in his head into communist countries where they can't take a physical copy. So far from God make me famous, um, 
God slowly and patiently was washing my feet, keeping from me the things that were not going to be ultimately good for me, and teaching me, showing me the things that were eternal, that were life-changing, that are life-changing. And as I began to see that, as I began to see, wow, Lord, you were good even when I thought you were horrible. When I accused you of abandoning me, when I accused you of not listening to me, you were good. You are good. And I didn't understand it then. (laughs) And I said some really terrible things. But you loved me. And you continued showing me. And that goodness of God, that continued pursuit of us, when we don't understand, when we don't get it, is I think what Jesus is picturing with like a living parable in front of these disciples. That they don't get in the moment, but they're going to look back. And he's going to make it very specific what this is going to look like for us. So Jesus came from the height of heaven to wash our dirty feet. And when we get that, when we see that, when our eyes are open to see the goodness of God and see how he has continued to work in us, we are empowered to wash people's feet. We are empowered to show kindness, to show God's goodness out of the abundance of our heart in order that people might see as we serve the height of heaven. They might see Jesus. So, Jesus says, you guys understand what I have done for you. And the obvious answer that we already know, sorry, my phone is telling me that it's 938. So, Lord, be with us as we show this goodness of yours to the world. Jesus says, do you guys understand what I've done for you, you disciples, knuckleheads? And the resounding answer of their silence is, no, we don't understand. You just washed our feet. That's gross. Do you understand what I've done for you? No. But you call me teacher. You call me Lord. You call me master. And you're right, because that's what I am. And if then I am your Lord and your master and I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm your teacher. Your leader, your Lord, I chose the most menial, most humbling act of service to show you what my way looks like. Not that it's always washing feet, but that if I, your teacher and your master, would choose the lowest service, there is nothing, there is no way that you can serve others that is beneath you. I've chosen the lowest one so that the whole 
range of service is, op- is, a, is open to you so that you could see the depth of my love. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus promises to continue serving them even as they do these things. Not just, hey, do these things because I'm your teacher, I'm your master, I'm your Lord, and I'm telling you to do them. He's saying, I'm going to continue to serve your good by blessing you when you do these things that I'm telling you you ought to do anyway. Another expression of his goodness and of his love. But he says, I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Judas, who is at this meal, is about to betray him, is about to leave. They're about to go to the garden. He's about to be arrested. All of that is about to unfold. But he is telling them, I'm telling you this now. I'm telling you what Judas is going to do. I'm telling you about the betrayal now so that you will know when it takes place and you may believe that I am he. That I am he is the same I am as when Moses asked God, who shall I tell Pharaoh is sending me to to tell him to let the people of Israel go? And God says, tell him I am sent you. And throughout the Old Testament, that I am is God's name. And Jesus says, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you will know I am. John started this story with Jesus is God. And then he washes their feet. And he ends this story with, don't forget who washed your feet. The same God who led the people of Israel out of Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, who created everything out of nothing, washed your feet. Truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who sends me, sorry, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. When we go, so Jesus said, I've given you an example. When we go and we humbly serve, people will see Jesus. That's our hope. And when people see Jesus, they will see him seated at the right hand of God in heaven. So Jesus comes from heaven, serves us by washing our dirty feet. We see the goodness of God and we are filled up. We are transformed. We see the world differently. Then we are empowered to wash other people's feet, to serve humbly other people that they might see Jesus who is in heaven. From the height of heaven down as far as it can go, the bottoms of our feet, and from there to point right back up to heaven by serving the people around us. So what does this humble service look like? What does it look like? Do we have to, is is he instituting like communion? Now we have to go wash people's feet. What if I don't like feet? I don't want to wash people's feet. This isn't a prescription. Go and wash people's feet. This is serve. 
like I have served you. And I served in the, the most humbling way that everything is available to you and nothing would be beneath you. It looks like a thousand ways, a million ways. Um, what my son would say, a thousand million ways. It can look any way, but it's giving of ourselves for the people around us. Happily giving of ourselves, of myself, to others that they might see that my happiness in serving comes from the fact that Jesus has washed me, has transformed me, that I have received his love. That's our goal. That in our humbly serving, people would see Jesus. And that, that might be taking somebody dinner. That might be just hanging out. That might be just taking an interest. How low has the bar, <laughs> how low could the bar be? That we just, the people around us are lonely. Just taking an interest in the things that are interesting to them is an act of service. I know you say, oh, gosh, that's not an act of service. That's, a, that's, that's nothing. You would be surprised how rare it is to just have someone listen. Hospitality and kindness. Just being kind. Just having people over to your home. Now I have a specific RCC example of this. And I'm not saying this is prescriptive either. Like, oh, you have to do this. I just want to give you an example of something that has happened here recently. Um, we have a REACH team. And REACH stands for uh, RCC or Richfield. Education, Action, and Compassion for Human Trafficking. So... A few years back, we, we created this team to say, what could we do? There's this ugly evil in our world that is human trafficking, human slavery, basically, buying and selling people. How could, what could we do? What could we speak into this, like, global ugliness here in Yorba Linda? What could we do? And God has given us a lot of different projects and ways that we can partner with people and we can, we can help well, recently, this last month, our, our REACH team said, we want to bless the people who are the caseworkers for these people who are coming out of this slavery, who are coming out of this human trafficking or sex trafficking or whatever it is. They're coming out of this, and they have to rebuild their whole life. But these caseworkers who are in this every day are seeing the ugliest of humanity every day and hearing the worst stories of what people can do to one another every day. So our REACH team put together a retreat and, and very literally washed their feet. It was a day just to come, relax, refresh, recharge. They did yoga, they got pampered, they got all kinds of stuff, no strings attached. You don't have to come to our church. You don't have to give us money. You don't have to do anything. We love what you're doing, and we want to bless you. And so 
these people right here who work in this ugliness every day got loved and served and honored and pampered and blessed and washed and massaged and cared for by our people. Through you, these people had their figurative metaphor metaphorical feet. Is that a thing? Do we have metaphorical feet? Anyway, these people got blessed. And we have the opportunity in, in maybe smaller ways than that, but we have the opportunity to do that with the people in our lives, to just bless them, to care for them, to be Jesus in their lives, serving them humbly, no strings attached, just that they might see that our joy in serving comes from Jesus. Speaking the truth in love. Now you might say, that doesn't seem like humble service. That doesn't seem like washing people's feet. But when you have people in your life that you know who are headed for hell, who are headed for a cliff, it is humble service to speak truth. Not in a mean way, not in an argument way, not, you know, in a shaming way, but just to stand. To speak truth without pushing, without arguing. To say, hey, there's a cliff coming and I care about you. And I don't want you heading over that cliff. That is an act of humble service. And one that the people around us desperately need. And then I can't say speaking without saying listening. <laughs> we have to listen to have the right to be heard sometimes. We need to listen to hear where their hurts are, to hear where their hang-ups are, to hear who they are. That we might have an opportunity to serve in a way that will bless them, that will help them see Jesus. Happily, happily giving of ourselves in hopes that folks might see that our happiness in serving comes from God. Now, how do we do this? How do we, is this just a Sunday about, all right, guys, get out there and suck it up and, you know, by the grit of your teeth, I want you to do things you don't want to do and wash people's gross, nasty feet. No, I'm saying, here's what the motivation is. We have to have the experience of the goodness of God ourselves. So it's not, I have to do this. Oh, Keith gave me one more thing I've got to do this week. I've got a reminder at 9.38. Now I have to go wash people's feet. I've got all this stuff i got to do. How am I supposed to do my job? No, it's not I have to. It's not I ought to. It's not it's the right thing to do. It's not, well, Jesus did it. I guess I could do it too. And it's not I get extra points in heaven. It's not this gets me to heaven. It's not this proves finally, once and for all, that I'm better than everyone else. This is, man, God has been good to me. 
man, God has been good to me. If we treasure Jesus, he's done a miracle in us. A miracle. And out of that experience of God's goodness, we have an overwhelming surplus to give to the people around us. So we're going to sing... Um, we're going to sing what a beautiful name. We started with goodness of God and we're going to sing again just how beautiful is this name of Jesus. And I, and I want you to think of what God has done in you. All the ways that God has served you, has washed your feet has brought you along, has been patient with you. As we sing, what a beautiful name, that name of Jesus. It's not just a song. This is a prayer of thanksgiving. God, thank you. Thank you for washing my feet. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful for all the ways that you have come down from the height of heaven and, uh, and entered our world and the things that are important to us and uh, just, Lord, the ways that you have washed our feet. We just want to thank you. We want to recognize that it's more than we can even bring to memory. You have done more for us than we know or will understand until we get to heaven. But Lord, we want to thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.